Good afternoon. Um, as you heard, my name's Ian and uh, I'm with my wife, Val. We uh, celebrated our 35th wedding anniversary this week. That's not bad, is it? I travel with uh, I, I travel around this country and other countries as a, with this charity tough talk with a guy called Arthur White and a couple other guys. And Arthur is a world powerlifting champion. I think he's won it about four or five times. And he usually, when he mentions this, he gets a little clap. But then he says, "I've been married for like 50 years," and everyone starts cheering and clapping. And uh, I thought I'd try it this morning, see what, <laughs> see if it works. You know, it's. Um, must be something in being married a little while, but uh, she's put up with me all these years, bless her. I grew up in East London near the best football club in the country, West Ham United. Was that a year, yeah, somewhere? Was that a cheer? And uh, I, I, we got booed at the last place I was at, didn't I? Yeah. And uh, I, I remember um, grew up walking into this bodybuilding gym as a young guy, and I started to train and lift weights, and uh, I wanted to be a powerlifter and a bodybuilder. And I started to compete at 18 years of age as a bodybuilder. I don't know if you've ever seen a bodybuilding competition before, but bodybuilders stand on a a platform or a stage a bit like that in their swimming trunks. We used to call them posing briefs and uh, they were like a little speedo. I had a red pair, a blue pair and for the finals, I had this silvery shimmering pair of posing briefs. I put baby oil on my body and I'd stand there showing off my physique and uh, that's what I did as a young man. I thought it was a sport and uh, and I loved it. I remember winning this junior south coast of Britain and um, I came back to the gym and the local paper, the Newham Recorder, came to the, the gym I was training at and they wanted to take some pictures of me and uh, this fella, I, I took it very seriously. I was pumping up the muscles and putting oil on my body and doing these physique poses for him. And then he, he, he then said to me, what do you eat? What do bodybuilders eat? I said, I eat a lot of protein. He said, how did you do that? I said, I, I, I eat a lot of eggs. He said, how many? I said, about 15 to 20 eggs a day. He said, that's disgusting. How do you do that? I said, I drink them raw, five, five at a time. And um, I, I, I remember I made the center pages of the Newham Recorder and the, the headlines read, extra strong Ian. <laughs> Eat 7,000 eggs a year. And he proper mugged me off. He put eggs all over the paper. And, and the, I'm, I'm doing this pose that they put put in there, I'm pointing in this pose, it's a strange one, and, uh, 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 and I'm pointing to a subheading that said, this is no yoke. <laughs> and I walked to the gym that day and my pals put it all over the wall of the change rooms and I, I remember thinking, you know, people just want to have a pop at you, don't they? They want to have a laugh at you. And um, I thought you've got to be very careful what you tell people. So I made a vow never to tell, tell anyone anything about my life again. But for nearly 30 years, I've traveled up and down this country and other countries, going into prisons and schools and orphanages and, and drug rehabs. And I've done conferences and fields and ski slopes and beaches, sharing and communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ because I want to share with people the darkness I was in and what brought me out of that darkness into this glorious light and uh, I thank you for the privilege for being here today it's a privilege for you to invite me and my wife and Steve's been a blessing to us and uh, 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 he's promised me some lunch as well I'm looking forward to that my my sport and the decisions I made nearly destroyed me but I remember growing up in a very dysfunctional family I'm one of seven and we all have got different dads 
which back in the 60s and 70s was a bit more unusual than it is today, you know. And uh, I can remember my mum, bless her, she had a drink issue and all sorts of problems going on. She was involved in witchcraft and mediums and spiritualism and all that stuff. And uh, my, I, I, I can remember um, one, one day, we, me and my brother, one of my brothers, we decided to hang my other brother upside down from the stairs, the banisters, like, you know. And he was in his nappies and we, we tied him up and he was hanging upside down screaming and mum came out and saw what we was doing she started screaming at us and one of my other brothers got this tea towel and he wet it and he ran behind us and started whipping us and we were screaming and he was screaming mum was screaming he was whipping us and we was it was like chaos you know and uh, and at that moment the doorbell rang and mum used to have this sign above the door that used to say um beware of the kids and uh and there was a woman standing there, and bless my sister, she, she did have some mental health issues and different health issues, and uh, she never answered the phone, never answered the door, anything like that. But this particular day, because we was all preoccupied, she decided to open the door, and, um, and she opened the door, and I think the lady must have been reading the sign, because my sister said her eyes were like going straight and weird like you know so I think she was a bit sort of just reading you know reading this sign and uh, and, and, and so my sister opened the door and she looked at this woman and it freaked my sister out and she just started screaming at her and the woman looked in and my sister's screaming at her we're we've got a boy hanging upside down in his nappies being sort of like trying to what was going on my brother's whipping us my mum's screaming it was chaos in there and this is a true story this woman just fainted it on the doorstep she went, bang <laughs> And my mum was like, quick, get her in. She might be a social worker, you know. <laughs> we dragged her in. Turns out she was from the Avon. It weren't too bad, you know. <laughs> I, rem I remember uh, as a young man. So I was just this dysfunctional fella, really, growing up in this crazy home. And uh, I got involved in the bodybuilding. I remember sitting in the gym one day, and there was a pal of mine who was my training partner. He said, Ian, if we're going to do well this year, we need to get on the anabolic steroids. Steroids are a synthetic hormone, and I'm ashamed to say for eight years of my life, I abused and misused the drugs of the anabolic steroids. Steroids are an incredible drug. And if they're prescribed by a doctor, they're fantastic. But if you're a young bodybuilder or an athlete, they can really cause you some serious side effects if you abuse them and misuse them. If you use anything, you can suffer the pain and the consequences for that, can't you? I've been drug-free for 30 years, but I will still wake up and urinate blood every now and then. I still have problems with my kidneys every now and then because there's a consequence for your actions, isn't there? Uh, and uh, I ended up in hospital. I came out of the hospital. Uh, I ended up actually, the fellow that I first took the steroids with, he, he never got off of the steroids and he died in two, 2007 from a long-term abuse of the drug. And the guy in the book, Arthur White, he, he's uh, got similar story to mine. He's had nine operations on his heart and they put it down to the abuse of cocaine and steroids that have destroyed him. I remember as this young man, uh, someone in the gym said to me, Ian, if you really want to get some decent stuff, why don't you get hold of the animal steroids? They're really cheap and effective. And I remember thinking, that's handy, because I was living in this uh, bed sit, like this flat in Forest Gate, East London, and, and underneath me was a veterinary surgery. And I can remember deciding to break into the surgery in the middle of the night, and I started to help myself to these animal steroids. And I would read one meal a week for a horse. One meal a week for a horse. And I would eject five to ten meals a day into myself. I kind of lost the plot, really. Five to ten meals a day, this horse drug. 
I never won the Mr. Universe, but I won the Grand National twice. <laughs> You're like, I wonder. I'm, you know, you've heard, he's heard it four times now, he still laughs. <laughs> I'm not a funny man, my wife would tell you that. It's my only joke, truly, it really is. Now I nicked it as well. I did take those animal steroids, I'm ashamed to say. I did take those steroids and they really did damage my health. I do a lot of work. This week I've been working in HMP Hinley, up in Manchester, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We get invited into the gyms. We get the guys in the gym. We do some bench press and stuff with them and we talk about the consequences of the dangers of steroids. We give our testimonies and we give glory to Jesus Christ for getting us out of that darkness. My life was uh, being... Uh, destroyed by my actions. I'm sitting in this gym in Bow East London one day. It was a Christmas Eve and there was this scary individual. He used to have a bald head, a scarred up face, chewed up ear, chewed up nose, uh, no tooth. And he used to frighten the life out of me. I mean, he was the ugliest bloke I'd ever seen as well, you know. And, and he pulled me aside this particular day. He says, Ian, Ian, Ian. He said, do you want to work with me on the door tonight? Do you remember they used to call them bouncers, didn't they? Bit posh around here. Do you have bouncers around here, dear? Is it a bit, do, you know, do you know what I'm talking about? Door supervisors, they call them now, don't they? If you want to be a door supervisor, you, you, you have to pass an exam and a test and a bit of health and safety and, uh, and, 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 and you know, like literally a, a little bit of uh, uh, paying tax and national insurance. It's all regulated now. But back in those days, it was run by gangs. And, and, and particularly where I was in East London and Essex. And this particular gang that I got involved in came out of something called the ICF, which was a, a football hooligan organisation in West Ham. And they were now running clubs and bars and raves and dealing with the drugs and all sorts of stuff. And they've written books and films about these guys. And I got hooked up with them, this particular guy, this guy called Mad Dog. And uh, Mad Dog... Took, invited me to work for him. I remember going to work for him. It was in a boozer in Roman Road, East London. The first shift I ever did with Mad Dog. He picked me up from the gym, took me to this club. We're sitting outside. He looked at me and said, here, son, stick this in your jacket. You're going to need it later. And he gave me a small truncheon, like a rounder's bat. I remember, wow, what is this? Put it in my, what have I got myself in? He said, quit, I'll introduce you to your mates, your colleagues you're going to be working with. We went up to the front of this door. He said, this is Dave the bus. I'm like, all right, Dave, how are you, mate? He said, this is one-eyed Mark. Oh, Mark. But what the heck have I got myself involved in here? I worked for the next eight years with these guys and a combination of cocktail of anabolic steroids and, and door work changed the perspective of my life. I remember I just wanting to be a bodybuilder, an athlete, and suddenly I'm a horrible individual doing all sorts of skullduggery. I turned my back on anyone who ever cared for me or loved for me. I lost the capacity to love and be loved and my life spiraled out of control. Found myself getting involved in a fight one night uh, out in a big nightclub called the Ilford Pally. You, you know, did I bar you? I thought I recognised you in there, but did you, did you bar? Another barred person there, Steve. Ilford Pally, and uh, it was a fight with another group of doormen. And we came off worse. I got squirted with ammonia in my face and took a beating that night, ended up in hospital. And a colleague of mine had a pickaxe handle smashed several times across his head and then he killed him. Took out his whole side of his head there and they did emergency surgery with this fella that particular night. They put metal plates in his head and around his jaw, wired up his jaw. And uh, uh, my friend uh, uh, nearly died, they said, that night. 
uh, a couple of m months really passed and, and this guy's name was Ez Catel. And Ez, uh, I hadn't been able to get hold of him and Ez and I used to do a little business together during the day alongside the door work and that. It was a little bit of debt collecting. And it wasn't regulated by the Office of Fair Trade, you know. And he's not answering his phone. You couldn't text and WhatsApp and Instagram each other in those days. If you didn't answer your phone, you, you know, you just have to go and knock on people's doors. And you remember, remember, remember that? Knocking on someone's door. I went and knocked on his door because of business. That's what I was there for. And he took me upstairs and he was sitting in his front room and the, the blinds were like closed and it was dark. And then we sat down and he started to tell me about the pain and the agony he was in. He said, I've been on liquid food since the fight. He said, I've lost weight. Look at the state of my head. It's swollen. He said, I can't see out of this eye. I've got partial sight in the eye. I've got no hearing in my ear. Look at the gap in my jaw, in my teeth. He said, I, he said I don't, they don't know what they're going to do with my jaw. It's a mess. If anyone hit me, my head's like glass. It'll be all over. And he, he was telling me about the pain. And then he started talking about revenge. How he was going to get these guys shot that had done this to us. And then he looked at me and as he was telling me this and telling me about the pain, he did something I wasn't expecting. He suddenly broke down and started to cry. Now, I'm not a comforting, counselling sort of a bloke, you know. I'd never make a pastor or a church leader or a vicar or anything like that. It's not really, I'm not designed or made that way. You know? I'm, very good. I'm not deep, you know. I don't know, that counselling business isn't for me, you know. But, and I remember looking at him thinking, what do I say? You know, he's, I better say something to the fella, look at him. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to get away, you know. I, I couldn't put my arm around and go, yeah, there, everything's going to be all right, you know. And he's a big fella and he's crying. And I looked at him and I suddenly found these words coming out of my mouth. And I said to him this, I said, why didn't you come to church with me? I thought, what was that? Where's that come from? And he's, he's like wiping tears off his church. Church, what are you talking about, Ian? I ain't never got enough grief as it is. What are you talking about church for? I said, mate, please don't think I'm a Christian or I've, I've joined the God Squad or anything like that. But I said, recently I had these dreams about God and this God was coming out of the sky. And in these dreams, there were like nightmares. I was like naked and ashamed and embarrassed before him. I said, and I told a pal that we worked with on the door. He knew the fella. I said, and he took me to this church in Canning Town, East London. Does anyone know Canning Town? I knew you would. They used to put... They used to put padlocks on their dustbins back in those days, didn't they? they? DHL did not deliver to Canning Town. That is the truth back in those days. And uh, not the sort of place you'd find, expect to find a church anyway. And this church couldn't afford a building. There was in a school. And, uh, and, and I remember um, he took me to this place. I thought it was a kind of a, a cult, really. It was an Elian Pentecostal church. And they were singing and clapping their hands and, and, and waving flags and things, you know, and dancing. I I remember sitting about him, what is this place, you know? And, uh, and they, they were singing this song, the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and they are saved. Anyone heard that one? Some, yeah, I'm just checking how long you guys have been in the faith, you see? <laughs> and they used to do hand motions to it, didn't they? Do you, do you remember that? The, the, the tower, you remember that? Come on, yeah, there's someone over there demonstrating for me. I always look for one that's ready to do it for me. <laughs> And, and they get to the point, they, and they do, when we are saved, they run in, don't they? Do you know? That's it. Wee! And they go, ooh, don't they? And, and there's all these guys waving and singing and dancing. And I was like, what the heck's going on in here? You know what I mean? I, I don't want to be here. But at the end of the meeting, they called people that were sick, anyone that was sick to come forward, and they were going to pray for them. And, and I remember looking and thinking, I didn't see anyone getting 
better. I didn't see anything happening, but it kind of resonated with me. But I decided and made a decision. I'm never coming back to church again. It's not for me, you know. And, uh, but there I am telling this guy this story about this people, place where people that are sick are getting prayed for. I said, maybe you should get yourself down there. He was looking confused, you know. I was confused. I said, I mean, I, was a, I didn't believe in God. I was a God hater, if anything. If there's a God, where is he in my life? Monks, mum's always drunk. My sister's always there. I don't know, where is God? Then I remember like, I'm going to, anyway, I'll leave, it, I'll leave you with that and uh, I'm going to go. I was a head doorman at the time in a nightclub out in North London and a car pulled up in the car park and there was three very dangerous individuals in that car that I knew. And one of them was my pal Ez. And he gets out of the car, he comes over and says, Ian, I need to talk to you. And we went around the corner of this nightclub. We were talking about the same stuff again, the injuries, the pain. He couldn't see out of his eye, the mess of his head, the depression, the pain he was in. Uh, he started talking about revenge and shooting. And, and now he had a date that was all going to happen. I'm like, I don't want to know that. You know what I mean? And he was telling me about the agony he was in. And then he did something again. He just started to cry again. I thought, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not equipped for this, you know? Why is this guy coming to me? And then he said this, he said, Ian, he said, it's suicide or church. Ladies, that's how hard it is for some men to get to church, you know, particularly in East London, you know, suicide or church. I said, mate, if it's that bad, I'll take you there myself. I thought, what did I say that for, you know? I'd made a vow I was never going to go back. Now I've committed myself. He said, yeah, if you would, please. In fact, Val came with me. Me and Val picked him up. We went down to this church in Cannon Town. I remember we pulled up in the car park and uh, we're getting out and the school had like windows and you could see the car park, you could see the cars and the guy who took me there before, I see him looking at me because I'm pulling up and he's like looking over because not only did I tell him I wasn't coming back, now I'm coming back and I'm bringing people. And I'm an unbelieving God hating evangelist. I didn't believe in God. And I'm bringing people to church. We sat at the back at the end of the meeting. There was no praying or anything like that. But, uh, and I thought, well, this is why I was here. I thought they would call you up. And, but this particular morning, they gave us cups of coffee. And I'm standing there with a cup of coffee talking to a couple of blokes. And uh, they invited us to another meeting on that week on the Wednesday night. And I remember thinking, church twice in one week. I haven't had enough of this and uh, I kind of ducked out of it. I, I really sincerely didn't want to ever come back again. I was like, what's the flag waving thing all about? I didn't know what was going on. I said, listen, I'm working. I, I'm, I'm going to give it a miss. And but my power was like, yeah, I'll, I'll have some of that. I was a bit taken back. I thought maybe thought I'd mugged him off taking him there, you know. They made arrangements to go to this church. It was a place called Kensington Temple. It was in uh, Notting Hill Gate. And, and these guys went from East London to, North, to West London on the Central Line. And they had a discussion about forgiveness. Now, my friend didn't tell them that he had made arrangements for these guys that had done this to be shot. But he was telling them, I can't forgive them. You don't know they've destroyed my life. Look at the state of my head. And, um, and these two guys were saying, God is real. And God can help you, but you've got to forgive the people that done this. He said to me, Ian, I thought they were the enemy. He said, I wanted to attack them on the train. He said, I thought, who do they think they are? Are they, on, are they on their side? He lived in a very black and white world where you was either for him or against him. You was either with him or there was, you was on the enemy's side. And I can remember um, I was working that particular night and I got a telephone call and it was my pal. Now what happened was they had this discussion on the 
the train and, 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 and literally got off of that train and he said, Ian, I, I went to walk in that building. I looked up and thought, God, if you're there, if you're really able to help me, I forgive the people that done this to me. I believe forgiveness is possible with the Holy Spirit. I believe the Spirit of God comes and touches our hearts and our lives. He's here to convict the world of righteousness, judgment of sin. I believe without the, the Holy Spirit, it's almost impossible to truly forgive. I believe something of God touched his heart at that moment that gave him the capacity and the ability to say, God, if you're there, I forgive the people that done this to me. He walked in the sat at the back of that place. Katie at that time had a membership of about 5,000. The place was a packed house that night. And there was a guy that was preaching called Charles Slagle. Charles got this guy, my pal, to stand up. They were sitting right at the very back. He said, so I could make a quick dash for the exit if I needed to. He said, he got me to stand up. Ez is about six foot four, six foot five. And he's standing like towering above everyone else. And, uh, and Charles started to speak into his life about the injury and the pain and the, everything he was going through, the headaches and, and the incident. He said, my mate said to me, at this point, I thought that someone must have slipped him a few quid. In the Christian world, they call that words of knowledge. <laughs> he's speaking into his life. And then uh, he said, look, son, the Lord wants to say thank you for forgiving the people that done this to you. Ed said to me, at that point, a chill went up my neck. It's like, I hadn't told anyone what I'd said outside. He said, the Lord wants to say, thank you for forgiving the people that done this to you. Receive your healing now in Jesus' name. He said, yeah, and I suddenly felt like this heat rushing through me, like I was being plugged into electricity. He said, people started putting their hands on me. He said, I started to shake and sweat and drip with sweat. He said, a stench started coming off of me. I believe he was being delivered as well that very moment. He said, a smell was coming from me. He said, I felt a tingling in my eye, a popping in my ear, a movement in my jaw. All I know is I got home from work that night. The telephone's ringing. It's my powers. You're right, mate. He says, yeah. He said, um... He said, Jesus has healed me. That wasn't my reaction, to be honest with you. I can remember thinking, man, you've you had a, drunk a little bit too much rum tonight and done something else. I don't know what. I said, I'll come see you tomorrow. I'll put the phone down for you. I said, don't worry, you'll be all right. Don't worry. I went to see him the next day. He's sitting, he took me upstairs, he's eating an English breakfast. He's been on liquid food since the fight. He had a smile, I'd never seen this a smile in his life. He said, look, and he told me the story I just told you. He said, look, he said, look at my jaw. He said, look at my head, the swelling's gone, look, my jaw, my teeth are together. He said, I can hear, he said, look, I can hear, I can see out of my eye. They say seeing is believing, don't they? Now I could see he looked different. I could hear his story, but I couldn't believe it. I thought it must be the third eye, mind over matter. He, he wants it. It's, it's all going to collapse again. I'll, I know I'll check him out. I'll watch over him and see what happens, you know. I, I couldn't believe it. And uh, it got worse for me because he went around telling my pals, Ian took me to church <laughs> and Jesus healed me. I can remember pulling him aside and saying, Ez, it's really good for you, but you know, you need to keep it down. <laughs> or at least keep me out of the story, you know what I mean? He never did, he even wrote a book about it. <laughs> called I'm Asking You Nicely. He's got a big picture of his face on the front and, uh, and, and all about this, in the, and it's in my book, In Tough Talk. And uh, uh, he went around telling my pals and everyone about Jesus. Now I was angry, really. I was angry at God. I was angry about this. I was angry about my life. And I remember thinking to myself, if God is real and he can heal, he's that real that he could do something like that. Why would he heal him? There's nice people needed to be healed. 
what's going on? Like suddenly I'm God and I know what's going on, you know? Why would he heal him? And uh, I, I'm becoming bitter and angry about the whole subject. Uh, he's running around, this violent, dangerous man that didn't deserve it when my mum's so ill and where, where's God? But I remember, uh, who am I? The reality is now he's a minister of the gospel, runs a church and runs a homeless show, all sorts of things. He knows all things, doesn't he? He has foreknowledge, he knows our hearts, he knows the directions we're gonna take. God has used that man to proclaim the gospel to those that would never hear it, that's the truth. I couldn't get none of this out of my head. I was a violent, dark, horrible bloke. I used to, couldn't walk outside my house without uh, weapons on me. I had all sorts of mental health issues. I used to have voices in my head when I would sleep that worked my voices, effing and swearing and darkness in my head. I'd go to bed out of fear, I couldn't sleep. I slept with a carving knife with my hand on the handle. This particular night I remember I uh, got involved in a fight where some fellas had petrol bombed the building I was working at we chased them down the Hartford Road we attacked them I'm sitting in my car and covered in blood I was a mess I sat in the car that night I pulled the car over on the north circle and I sat there saying God if you're real if you're really there can you stop me can you sort me out? I thought about the dreams I'd had. I thought about my power and the healing. I said, Jesus, if you're there, can you help me? As I said that, I felt guilty for the fight I'd just been involved in. I said, Jesus, would you forgive me for what I've just done? As I said that, I suddenly felt this incredible sense of peace and love, like a tingling rushing through me. I remember tears flooding down my face. I thought, what's going on? I started to feel clean and different. I went home that night. I believe I had a kind of a deliverance myself that night as I called out to Jesus Christ because I fell asleep. I had peace. He is the Prince of Peace. He's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He took me from the kingdom of darkness and translated me into the kingdom of light. He is more than able. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. That night I woke up the next day thinking, was that God? Is He that real? I thought, I, I, I'm in the same mess, but I don't seem to be worried about it. That felt like there was a peace around me. I went back to that church in Canning Town, East London, and I walked in and I remember thinking, actually, what, these Christians don't look too bad. <laughs> Why was I so suspicious of them? I was, and, and then the music started. I thought I wanted to run again, but I actually started to enjoy the music and the words. And I suddenly found tears coming down my face as I was listening to the gospel through the songs. I didn't know what the gospel was. I didn't, like our brother who just spoke about the Alpha course. He didn't know what, there was an Old Testament, New Testament. I didn't know what this stuff was. I remember buying a children's illustrated Bible. My daughter at the time was five years old and I would read the one with the pictures so that I could catch up. I pretended I was reading it to her, you know, but she would fall asleep and I'd carry on reading, you know. <laughs> Jesus Christ transformed my life, changed my life, healed my life, set me free. I haven't got the time to tell you of the miraculous stuff that he'd done in my life, healing me and changing my heart and setting me on a different path. I would have been dead if it was not for my faith in Jesus Christ. I had a fear of death. A few months before I came to faith, we threw this fella out of the club and he came back shooting at the door and a friend of mine, one of my good friends died. He got shot and I watched him die in front of me. And I remember feeling a fear of dread and a darkness of death that I was gonna die in the gutter one night, either through the steroids or through violence. I used to have, this is a truth, I used to have a, a, a funeral suit because there was always one of us dying and we would go to funerals so often, I used to just have a suit for the funerals. That was where I was at. I had a fear that that was going to be my, 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 my lot in life. Jesus Christ took that fear from me. You know, I trust in Him that He is the resurrection and the life. 
I may pass away, but I will be alive forevermore. He's the God of the living, not the dead. I'm going to finish very quickly with this last story. I'm going to cram it in really quickly. Um, we in Tuftal have the opportunity to travel all sorts of places. It's been a privilege to share in all sorts of surroundings and difficulties in prisons in the Philippines and in, in Hong Kong. And, also, and some of the prisons I've seen, prisons in Russia, the darkest places like hell on earth. I was in a prison in the Philippines where they were banging up 50 human beings in one cell. There wasn't room to, to sit, sit, sit down. They were sleeping on like shelves at the back. It was like hell looking into these guys' faces. It was hard to get my head around their reality. And I thought, if this is what it's like here, what would eternal hell be like? And I was in a prison in South Africa working out with the numbers gangs once. And we was out there. And this particular afternoon, uh, we was in a, a, a section of this prison where there was the most vicious inmates uh, in the prison system. They were never coming out. And they were all part of these numbers gangs that we'd been working with all during the week and, and we had a, after the meeting we had a questions and answers and, and, and there's a guy at the front kept picking on me and asking me questions and he said to me how did you get out of the gang and I remember like looking at him I said listen the gang I was involved in is very different from the gangs you have out here it was more like a firm like an association of fellas I said but you know in England it was very easy I said because when I started to tell my pals about Jesus they soon left me, you know. You want to get out of a gang, talk a lot about Jesus. If you want to get out of, away from people you don't like, talk a lot about Jesus. You know, they, they're either going to leave you or they might join an alpha course. You know what I mean? So he didn't quite understand what I was talking about, to be honest, just living out there. And, and then he's, 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 he looks at me and said, look, really, my question is this. I want to be a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the cross. I believe that he died. I believe he rose again. I believe he's the son of God. He said, I believe in punishment. I believe I'm going to hell. He said, I want to be a Christian. He said, but if I become a Christian today, if I become a Christian tonight, I will not be alive in the morning. I said, why is that, mate? He said, he said, I run the gang in this prison. And if I renounce the gang and turn to Christ, they will take my life during the night. I know this because I've carried this sentence out myself. What do you got to say? And I remember thinking, I don't want to be the one <laughs> responsible for his death, you know? What do I say to But I'm here because I want him to come to faith. I believe in eternal things. I believe the Bible says, fix not your eyes what is unseen, but what is unseen. What is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. Build your treasures in heaven where it will not rust and, 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 and rot away. I believe in the unseen. But how do I share this? What do I say to him? And the guy that's in the book with me, Arthur, he was with me that day and uh, he was standing behind me. He says, he says, Ian, do you mind if I answer that question? I said, yeah, please do, Arthur. It's all yours, mate. <laughs> and he stepped forward. He says, son, it's like this. Arthur is from Hackney, East London. He sounds just like me. His story's a bit like mine. He said, Ian, he said, it's like this. Through the abuse of steroids and cocaine, I have destroyed my body. I've got metal shoulders, metal hips, metal knees. I've had five operations on my heart. Last week, he had his ninth operation on his heart. He said, even though I'm about to die at any moment, and I've been told to expect that because my heart is so messed up, he said, I'm in a win-win situation, son. He said, because if I live, I'm going to be with the Lord. And if I die, I'm going to be with the Lord. 
He says, son, it's better to be with the Lord. We all live inside a body. It's like a tent, like a house. The real heart, the real human, the real soul lives within that body. It's all gonna die one day, but we will be alive and we will stand before our maker, our creator. It's been appointed once for man to die and then face the judgment seat of Christ. He said, I have been reconciled with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. I trusted in what he done upon the cross and he rose again that I may have eternal life. He said, guys, he said, it's better to be with the Lord. They bowed their head that particular afternoon. This fella at the front in tears received Christ Jesus. People have said to me, it's wham to him. I believe he's alive because the Bible says he is the God of the living. Guys, I want to bow our heads right now and close with a prayer. I don't know where you are and who you are, but the Bible says he knows the very hairs on your head. His eyes roam to and fro across this world, searching the hearts and minds of each and every one of us. The scriptures declare that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin, that's your payment for your sinful actions, is death. The gift of God is eternal life. The grace of God is immense, is incredible. His mercy, his love towards us, yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us that you may have peace and be reconciled with God today, not because of anything you can boast, no good works. In fact, when the holiness of God touches your heart, you see what a vile human being you are. We self-righteously judge ourselves against our neighbour and think we're not too bad. But when the Spirit of God touches us, we see that even our best efforts are like filthy rags. The gospel and the breaking of God's commandments is serious business. God cannot tolerate sin. He's a holy God. The scriptures say, even calling your brother a fool, you're in danger of hellfire. God is real, he's alive. He's looking at you right now. Right now, behold, is the moment to get right with him. Whether you've never heard the gospel before, wherever you are in your journey as a pilgrim on this earth, now behold is the moment. There's no coincidence you're here. Maybe you've been in church all your life, but there's something not right. You just know you're not connected with his spirit. There's doubts, there's unbelief. Be careful of an unbelieving heart. The scriptures call it an evil unbelieving heart. Don't let doubts and fears put you off course today. Get right this moment with Jesus Christ. I will pray this prayer. And I, the Bible says, if we will confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead, we should be saved. I'm gonna pray this prayer. I'm gonna ask you to pray it out loudly after me. If you're praying it for the first time, speak it out of your mouth. If you're praying it because you wanna get right and you backslidden, pray it out of your mouth. And church, I pray and ask you to pray it out to make them feel comfortable for those sitting next to you. So repeat this prayer after me and then we'll say amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent your son, that Jesus, you died on the cross for our sins. Forgive me for what I've done wrong. Come into my heart by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Every head stay bowed one second, every eye closed. I wanna pray for you if that is you and you're in the house today and you've responded in your heart and you prayed that prayer. I wanna pray for you, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I wanna lift you up and pray for you. God will bless you and protect you. If that is you, whatever place you're at, I wanna ask you quickly to raise your hand for me so I can see you and pray for you. God bless you, God bless you, my love. God bless you, my friend. God bless you at the back. God bless you, sir. God bless you, my friend. Anybody else, quickly raise your hand. God bless you, love. 
Thank you. Anybody else? Quickly, raise your hand if that is you. And you know that something is happening. And you know that you need to respond. God bless you. And you haven't yet raised your hand. Quickly raise your hand for me and I will pray. Anybody else? Quickly, God bless you, sir. Anybody else? God bless you. I see you in the middle there. Anybody else? Father, I just, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace. I pray that your spirit will protect the seeds that have been sown today. Protect them from the evil one. Lord, that your presence would be upon these souls, that you would protect them. You would fill them with courage and strength to share the gospel, to be part of the body of Christ, built up in the temple of the living God. Father, I pray for them right now. Lord, help them confess and share and put good people around them that will build them up in the things of God. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. God bless you.